This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company I've used personally for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 wants to reach out to you, the audience, and offer you a discount, which I will get to in a moment. As with each episode, I want to highlight one of their products. And I think an area that really needs to be discussed is uniforms. So most of us listening to this podcast are in some sort of uniform profession. And 5.11 were founded on clothing the tactical athletes. So they went to the member of military, the police officer, the firefighter, the EMT, and asked them what do they need to function at the highest level when it comes to their clothing. So their uniforms are reverse engineered from the user back to the manufacturer. Another observation I've made in several departments I've worked at is that we end up with lockers full of worn, faded uniforms. And what I found with the 511 uniform that I wore in California was that wasn't the case. They lasted several years and some of the job shirts and jackets lasted way longer than that. So longevity and cost efficiency is also another element to this as well. Yet another layer to this is the female tactical athlete. So they realized that men and women, surprise, surprise, are not shaped the same way. So they started designing uniforms accordingly to fit the female tactical athlete and allow her to be able to move efficiently. So, so many reasons why I advocate this company. On top of all their other great products, the Norris sneaker, which I think is a great alternative to a station boot, the AMP pack or missions backpack, and then their civilian clothes as well, their shorts, their jeans, so, so comfortable, so user-friendly as well. So, 5.11 are offering you a discount of 15% off all of your purchases. So, use the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5 at 511tactical.com. That's 511tactical.com. And to hear even more about 511, their mission, their products, and their genesis, listen to my interview with their CEO and co-founder, Francisco Morales, on episode 338 of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by GovX, a company I've used for several years now and wish I'd used for even longer. If you are a member of police, fire, EMS, corrections, nursing, a hospital setting doctor, and members of the military, and you are not registered with GovX, you are simply wasting your money. A free registration with GovX marries you with a multitude of companies that are offering our professions discount. So by registering at govx.com for free, you will then have a lifetime membership and you can shop for the very same things and save money. I've saved a huge amount of money buying sunglasses, I've bought knives, I've bought clothes and even concert tickets on there. Another area I love about this company is GovX Gives Back, where they will raise money for different foundations every single month. And with this being September, they have a 9-11 memorial patch that raises money for firefighter aid. So if you're active duty, if you are retired, or if you're a volunteer, you are eligible for this membership. And on top of the savings that you will get by being a member, GovX is reaching out to you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, to offer you an extra discount. If you spend 50, that's five zero dollars on your first order and use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, you will save an additional $15. So $15 off your first order of $50. So visit govx.com, G-O-V-X.com, register and then be a member for life and continue to save over and over again. Welcome to episode 355 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week I'm extremely excited to welcome on the show 
Jeff Byers. Now, Jeff had an incredible journey through American football from college to the NFL, and through that journey came away with a lot of lessons learned. So we discuss many of them when it comes to leadership, when it comes to overcoming injury, transitioning out into other professions, including his latest project, Amp Human, and their product, PR Lotion. Now, you also hear him mention GovX, which is now one of the podcast sponsors. So I want to say thank you to Jeff for making that connection and also that you, the listener, can find Amp Human on GovX. So before we get to that interview, as I say every single week, please just go to whichever app you listen to this on, and those apps are growing and growing. Subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Each five-star rating truly does make this podcast more and more visible for people looking for a project like this. And this is a free library for you, the audience, whether it's individually, whether it's within your organization. So all I ask in return is that you pay it forward and help share these amazing men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Jeff Byers. Enjoy. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast. Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, super excited to be here and uh, looking forward to the next hour or so. Absolutely. So where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Uh, I am based in Park City, Utah. Fantastic. You know, it's funny. I just interviewed a gentleman yesterday who's an exercise physiologist that worked with Olympic teams and NASA, and he has uh, a product on the market now. It does blood flow restriction, and I believe he's in Park City as well. Yeah, uh, uh, be strong. Uh, I yes. know Dr. Dr. Jim Drake Anderson. So yes, that was who exactly who it was. Brilliant. Okay, so you guys even yeah. know each other. Perfect. Yeah, great conversation. Um, all right. So then I like to start at the very beginning and then work chronologically. So where were you born? And then what was your family dynamic like? What did your parents do? And how many siblings? Yeah, uh, I was born in uh, Fremont, Nebraska, um, in 1985. Um, I have. Uh, older sister, younger brother, um, and uh, I'm very fortunate to have uh, both uh, mom and dad, and and obviously extreme privilege to grow up in in a you know in a you know stable stable house from that standpoint. Um, my my parents, uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. She had a incredibly hard job with me and my my two siblings and uh my dad worked uh work within the meat industry um my entire life and actually just just recently retired brilliant now what about athletics obviously you ended up you know being quite the the athlete when you were young what were the sports that you loved yeah um you know my, uh, i was kind of in this michael jordan era i uh, i always wanted to be like mike and and definitely uh, loved the game of basketball, um, for a very, very long time. Um, and so I played, I played all sports growing up. I'm, I'm an extremely, I was extremely active. Um, you know, and my parents always said like, they put me in sports because it was the only way that, uh, I would leave them alone, sleep at night and not always fight with my brother. Um, right. Like they just did it to tire me out essentially. But, um, but yeah, basketball was my, was my sport until I got too big to play basketball and realized that you had to actually, 
be able to shoot shoot a basket and and make it um and you you know being six four two sixty um in high school wasn't necessarily con- conducive to being a great basketball player so yeah i uh i uh I, I hung up my basketball shoes and, and really went towards football and um, was very fortunate to have an incredibly long and successful football career by, by all standards and um, very, just, I mean, just extremely lucky for that, for that sense. So Brilliant. Well, um, at six, yeah. uh, sorry, at 6'4 and 260 though in high school, so tell me about your strength and conditioning and kind of which positions you were put in by the, by the team. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, all good points. So I went to high school in, in Loveland, Colorado, um, which is in Northern Colorado. Um, I mean, I played basketball, ran track and, and played football all through high school, but, uh, I was a big kid. Like I might, you know, I was six, three, you know, my freshman year in high school. Um, but the problem is I, I left high school at six, four. Um, but I was big and lean and, and fast, et cetera. But I was, a I I played offensive line in high school and, um, you know, when I was 260, I was, you know, my junior year, uh, and was, was really lucky. So being an offensive lineman, um, you know, at, at 260, I was really actually pretty small. Um, but I was really, really fast and really, really strong. Um, I was fortunate enough in high school to be ranked as one of the top high school football players in the country and had scholarship offers to essentially every university um, that was out there and, and got to kind of pick pick where I wanted to go. Um, I was a center um, and yeah, just a ton. Of, just had a ton of fun. But, you know, for me, I was obviously given a ton of uh, God given talent. I just like. I was a big kid. I was naturally fast. I was naturally really strong. Uh, but in high school, I had a very, uh, like I would say forward thinking coach, uh, and a coach from in terms of strength and conditioning. Um, and we had, you know, very structured workouts on and, and progression plans to how to get stronger and faster. And then, you know, kind of from my perspective, once I, once I saw the opportunity to, to be, you know, like be more than a high school football player started thinking about, you know, like, how do you, how do you make those gains and how do you take care of your body in the, in the right ways? And, you know, got into, you know, performance very much. So in, in high school thinking about, right. What do you eat? Supplementation, um, you know, rest days, uh, even things like compression, um, that we all started to like that we really started to get into. And even, you know, one of the things that I look back on that I believe had the biggest impact was I started doing Pilates in high school. And it was like, my dad pushed me to, to do Pilates to say like, Hey, this is something totally different. And right. Like Pilates is, is about as opposite as you can get from, from football and, you know, lifting heavy weights. And it was really one of those things that gave me a nice, counterbalance of like long like long breathing stretching core work that I do attribute that is that helped me get through some of my big injuries and things like that as I progressed in my football career that's amazing I haven't heard Pilates mentioned for a long time but yeah I mean absolutely it makes perfect sense to to kind of offset the uh you know the traditional strength and conditioning yeah anyways brilliant all right. Well, then, so so transitioning to college, then. So, what was that jump like? You were, you know, definitely an incredible high school athlete. 
did did you did you have any kind of um experience of being in a much bigger pond when you were in college yeah so i went from loveland colorado which is uh uh not a you know it might be a city but it's not a city it's a town you know it's pretty small etc and i went to school at university of southern california in los angeles which is um you know about as different as you can possibly get you know i grew up kind of like on the outskirts of a town you know had you know had some acres and you know in high school i you know was a farmhand moved hay shoveled horse shit did all that stuff like and going to LA is was a definite uh, definite change and and I was you know like in in Loveland and in Colorado for that like I was the you know kind of the big fish in sports and um going to Los Angeles at USC like they're just coming off a national championship and you know uh, you know like my teammates were Reggie Bush and Lendell White and Matt Leinart and you know, all these incredible football stars um, already and becoming, you know, and would go on to, you know, have incredible football NFL careers as well. So, yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, not just moving to the city, um, but but from a team perspective, I went from, you know, you know, from a little, 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 uh, little pond to the, the, you know, the, the biggest Pacific ocean you can imagine. Um, but was very fortunate. I mean, USC was incredible to me. I started, you know, I started half of the games, my true freshman year, you know, we won a national championship that year, which was incredible as well. And, uh, Reggie Bush won his Heisman trophy and, um, just really, really incredible, uh, experience and opportunity at USC. Um, and the amount of talent that was there is just, is still mind blowing to me today. When I went to the NFL, like the talent we had on the USC teams was, was equal or better than a lot of the NFL teams, um, that were out there, which is just crazy to think about. No, that's brilliant. It's a hell of an environment to grow up through. Now, now you, yeah. you mentioned um, a farmhand. I want to go back just for a moment. I grew up on a farm. My dad was a horse vet, veterinarian. And so I grew up, you know, moving hay and shoveling, you know, mucking out stables and all that kind of stuff that you were doing. How much do you attribute that manual labor to your success as an athlete? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I think it definitely teaches your work ethic. Um, and, you know, like, you got to get things done. Um, and it's like, you know, like, you're not done till you're done as you, as you well know, and, and nobody else does the job for you. And so for me, I think it taught a lot about just persistence and, and, and work ethic of like, Hey, you got to get things done. And like, there are no shortcuts, like there are no shortcuts to, to mucking out a stall or, you know, moving a field of hay. like you just got to do it. And it's hard and it sucks. Sometimes it's really hot. Like, you know, yeah, like a lot of miserable environments you can put yourself in when you're when you're working, um, uh, you know, on a farm or a ranch. And I I really attribute some of like the toughness and grit um, to to that um, of like, you know, you just don't get to give up. Like it's it's a really hard fucking job. Excuse. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things like I look back and like, man, like I remember you know, like, you know, like how dusty it gets and, you know, inside a, you know, in Colorado in the summer, like inside a, a horse stall, like not only is it dusty, you have a, you know, a massive animal in there. It smells awful, but it's hot and it's miserable and humid. And, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things that 
I, I take and, and think about there's a coach that, that always said, you got to love to learn to be miserable. Um, like that's when you know you're winning. And I really pride myself on one of these things of like, I fell in love with being miserable. Um, right. And I, I, like, it sounds terrible, but you come from, you know, you come from this environment of like, when you're doing the most important things, it's really, really hard. And it's typically pretty miserable. And if you don't love that state, you're in the wrong place. Um, and that is one of the things working as a, as a farmhand, you really realize like you find joy in suffering and, and anyways. So yeah, I think that attributes a lot to, to how I've, you know, my ethos of my life call it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to hear. It's, it's a little different in the UK, obviously, because it's so wet and cold. So I, I remember, you know, when I was younger, thinking you can only get so wet. Like once you're soaked, yeah. you're soaked. So by that, you know, it's not going to get any worse after that, you know. But um, yeah, I, I think that's a very good way of looking at it. It's not so much just the physical training, but yeah, the the mindset of, you know, if you've got a you got to go work out in the fields, then, you know, it's done when it's done. You can't just go halfway and yeah, I gave up. I'm not going to do it anymore because uh, that's not going to work with my dad. <laughs> yeah. With anybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well then I, was it college that you, you started experiencing injuries? Yeah. In college I had two really bad injuries kind of back to back. And it, it, uh, so my true freshman year, right before the, our national championship game, um against oklahoma i i blew my hip out essentially and i had two hip surgeries um after to to basically get me in a in a good place um but the the hip my the second surgery that was done the the doc pretty much looked at me and said hey the likelihood of you playing ball again is is really pretty low um, it was really early on in, in the type of surgery that I had, not many people have had had it and the success rate from the pro athletes he had done it on was pretty low. Um, but I was young, I was, you know, 19 at the time. So I, I had that going for me. So I ended up actually missing my entire second year, um, at, at USC, um, but was at a crossroads and really, you know, you know, going in as like one of the top top rated high school football players and thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to get drafted in the first round and, you know, four years, et cetera. I had to take a step back and look at, at, at life and, and kind of reprioritize and think about what, you know, what opportunities lie, lie there. And, you know, like, this is one of the things that I feel, you know, you know, people talk about privilege, but I, like, I had a ton of privilege that, you know, like my, my dad called me up and basically told me to stop being, you know, stop whining. Nobody feels sorry for you. Um, and think about why you went to school. You're at an incredible university. Why don't you take advantage of it? Like, stop, you know, stop thinking about it. Like you, you know, there's life after ball son, um, and decided, okay, well, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get uh, ahead in school. I'm going to graduate early. I'm going to get, you know, get into a master's program while it's all paid for. And so it was really, to me, I was always a good student, but that was a turning point to say, I have to start thinking about life after football. What do I want to do? How do I want to do it? And start planning for it. Um, and so I got on track to graduate college in, in, in three years rather than four. Um, so I missed my whole second year. I came back from my hip injury um, and in spring ball the following year, I, uh, I ended up blowing my back out. 
um, and had two back surgeries um, during training camp. Um, my third year uh, on L4, L5, three weeks apart, essentially to to fix to fix my back, and I missed my entire third year um, at uh, at USC as well. So I started as a true freshman, missed my second year, missed my third year due to injury. Um, but after my third year at USC, I graduated and I got into the Marshall School of Business, and and you know, very, very fortunate, um, to have done that. I'm still the, you know, the youngest person, um, that I know of to, to have got accepted and gone through the program, which is, it has been a tremendous asset of mine. Um, but then I ended up playing my fourth and fifth year and, and got granted a six year of eligibility by the NCAA. They have this, um, hardship, uh, hardship rule that, um, if you, don't uh, if you don't take a redshirt year by choice, you can get granted an extra year if you miss two years because of a hardship, injury, family issues, death, things like that. Um, and so I ended up graduating. I ended up playing a six year. I was a team captain my fifth and sixth year of the team. Um, and at the end of my sixth season at, at SC, I had my master's in business and had the opportunity to go play in the NFL, um, which was really, really incredible. But injuries in my mind really changed me as an athlete um, and, and as a football player. Um, it made me real, it made me really lean on, I would call it uh, my, my, my intellect and, and my work ethic um, and just my, my will to win because a lot of my God-given talent, um, not, not a lot. I mean, I still had an incredible amount, but I lost, you know, I lost a step, lost my ability <laughs> to be super powerful um, at certain points. Just, you know, all your power comes from your hips and your back. And I definitely, uh, I definitely had a, a bum, a bum tire uh, on there. But, uh, but yeah, it maybe changed my game, how I played, and how I thought about my body too, you know, like, uh, when you, when, uh, when all of a sudden you're not the most talented person on the field, um, you have to find other ways to adapt. And for me, it was really focusing on what are the little things that make you really, really good. Right. Cause the little things add up as you know, James in, 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 in a performance setting or just, you know, how do I maximize me? Um, because I needed to show up every day and be at my best to compete with the very best. Um, and I always knew that if I came better prepared, if I was stronger mentally, if I was tougher, if I could outlast them, that regardless of talent level, I would still have a spot because I brought enough to the table. Yeah, well, injuries are so interesting as well. I mean, I, I had uh, a back and then meniscus tear on each knee all within about uh, five years of each other. And just kind of like you, we went from never being hurt at all to what the fuck is going on? Why am I falling apart? Um, but then there were so many lessons after, like realizing muscle imbalances, realizing, you know, some movement practices were, were so much more effective than others. So when you look back at your injuries, what do you attribute to the injuries themselves? And then were there any kind of physio, uh, physio modalities or training modalities that you found worked very well getting you back to that, you know, game ready state again? Yeah, I think from an injury perspective, obviously I played in a very violent, um, a very violent game, um, and I was in a in a uh, 
you know, tight quarters with, you know, 10 other grown men that all weighed 300 plus pounds falling on each other and such. Um, you know, I would say my hip, my hip injury, you know, just, I, I got in a bad position and was trying to, trying to save it and just was, you know, like, like it happens. Like you just get in, you like you get in weird positions at times and it was just kind of the, all the cards lined up and, um, in, in a bad way for me there. And just, you know, like I, I, I literally, my, my femoral head just jammed directly into my pelvis and just tore, tore up, uh, tore up my, my cartilage pretty bad. And also, you know, did some damage to my femoral head where I put a pretty big, you know, uh, a, a tent in it that caused a ton of damage that I had to get, get worked on. So I, I you know, I, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, like all of them were contact based injuries um, from that sense. But I do think my my back injuries were related to my hip injuries. And so uh, my back, uh, my back injury was during like an inner squad scrimmage. And, you know, one of our quarterbacks threw an interception. It was like a live scrimmage. And I was running down the sidelines, chasing the linebacker and, you know, tackled them and and landed like weird on my on my hip and just got torqued torqued pretty badly um but i do think it's you know like your body always compensates and that no like by no stretch of the imagination was my hip normal or 100 percent back and i think it contributed to it and then injuries later on in my career definitely all related to hip back etc like once you get off you're kind of off and so the things that i really focused on like going for going forward after it was i i spent an incredible amount of time with soft tissue work stretching and core work like those are the three things like if i neglected my core like I would know like in seven days, if I neglected my core two of those seven days, like instantly know, like I neglected it and I'm in a bad place. And it's still to that day. Um, right. And it's, it's also about a balance of what do I need to do, et cetera, warm up, warm down. Um, you know, I really, you know, really, really focused on, on those, those types of things. Um, and it, it was, you know, how am I, you know, how am I, warming up with the hot tub, stretching, you know, am I doing a sauna? Am I, you know, getting soft tissue work on a daily basis? And am I stretching? Am I, you know, how am I lifting, et cetera. And and it also changed the way I lifted um, because there were some things that I just found that if I did too much of them, like it would crush me. Like I no longer back squatted really heavy because like that was just one, like if I ever tried to push it really heavy on the back squat, like get above 600 pounds, like I would just, everything would be crippled on me and I'd have like three weeks of, of getting back into, into the mix of things. So um, those are the things. And I really started to prioritize, you know, diet, um, sleep, um, cognitive training during, uh, you know, post uh, post big injuries. Um, because I just, I, I knew those things were a differentiator for me. Yeah, no, and it's so good to hear that because I mean, you went from two horrendous injuries and I think the story that's not told very much is that you can overcome these. Sometimes you need surgery. Sometimes you can do it purely through rehab, 
But I don't think people see that very much. You know, that you're not only, you wasn't like you just able to walk around and, you know, do an office job the rest of your life. You went back to college football and then the NFL. So thank you for sharing that because I don't think that's, you know, told enough. And, and the power of rehab and strength and conditioning and mobility training, and as you said, even good nutrition to, to overcome an injury that like, it doesn't go away. I, I, my, my back injury still will flare up if I don't do my movement practices. But if you do, you can function at a very high level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the, right. As you pointed out, like we, like we as human beings, like adapt incredibly well, like we've evolved to adapt. Like when you, when you think about us, like if you couldn't adapt, like, like, you know, like you, you, we, we didn't, we didn't survive. Now that doesn't mean things go back to normal and, you know, injuries change, change things drastically. And that, I think that's the big thing that I've realized is that, you know, like, um, just cause you're not what you were before, doesn't mean you don't have incredible opportunities in front of you. And, and obviously I was, I was fortunate enough to keep playing and, and have, have a career after that. And a lot of people aren't like injuries slow people down, but, but that doesn't mean it, it, it should take away it, it like it, sh- it shouldn't take away your life. Um, because there's other things to go after, et cetera. Like, yeah, like there just always is. And, and, and as you know, James, like one door closes, opens another door. It's sometimes really hard to find that other door, like really, really hard, but there's always another door, um, is what I found in life. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, it's a good segue to something I want to ask you about. So I, I read a story about you actually being asked to present to your team, um, financial advice because of your your you know, training in the business side. So tell me about that because that's another thing we hear about these, especially these athletes that end up being incredibly successful, and then you see the sad story of a few years later where the where the money isn't there anymore. Well, uh, yeah, uh, funny story. Uh, so I was I was in, in grad school, and a big big focus or emphasis of my my business my master's in business was around finance and the capital markets. And it just so happened to be during uh, the economic crisis in 2008, 2009. Um, and Pete Carroll, who probably many of your listeners, listeners know, was, was my coach my entire college career and was, was, a two t- was a captain for two years with him. He basically, I, you know, the world was falling um, and we were getting ready for a game. Uh, we were in our team hotel and, you know, I'm sitting out looking through the game plan in my playbook and, you know, trying to think about, okay, what, what are, like, what things are most likely to happen? And he, he walks up to me, he's like, Hey man, uh, do you think you could talk about the financial crisis? I was like, like in 10 minutes of the team meeting, he's like, (laughs) he's like, yeah, like, you know, I'll give you like 10 to 15 minutes to talk about the financial crisis, like the history of the markets. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, here we go. Uh, you know, nothing like, nothing like, uh, get in front of, you know, my, my, my teammates, but also my coaches. Um, and you know, the coaches are the ones that I, I always honestly had like deep conversations with because like I was getting my master's in business and they knew I had this great understanding. They all had money saved away. And like, they were, you know, like, Hey, what's going to happen? Should I, you know, and should I sell? And I'm like, guys, like you're asking a, you know, 21 year old who's in grad school, like what you should do with your money. Like this is, Anyways, it's just, uh, yeah, so I, I got in front of the team and tried to ex- explain, you know, you know, kind of the, the macro and micro world, what was happening, you know, 
from an economics perspective, what the, the history of the markets look like and fundamentally, you know, what was, what was wrong. And um, as you can imagine, you know, I would say a third of the room were, you know, um, support staff. So coaches, you know, uh, managers, things like that, that, you know, were grown adults and like been school, probably, you know, average age is 50. And then the rest of the room were my teammates who a lot of them, you know, were there to play football, didn't give two crap, two shits about school. Um, and you know, they're, you know, 18, 19 year olds and trying to have this conversation about, uh, you know, the, the global financial crisis that was 2008 and 2009 was, was really quite fascinating. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Pete, Pete really put me on the spot and it's one of those stories that, that I, I don't know how got out to the media, but Pete, Pete talked about it and, and, uh, just, one of those one of those crazy things that I end up talking about more than I ever would have thought during the time. <laughs> yeah, it was just interesting, especially at that time. I, funny enough, I was in California. Um, I was working for Anaheim Fire then, and right before that, you know, I just came from from Florida, so the housing obviously is a lot cheaper here anyway. And then I moved to the to California. Everyone was telling me, "Oh, you got to get on on the you know on the housing market." And these little 800 square foot homes, they were selling for like half a million. I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm going to buy a house at that price. It's a shed. What are you talking about? And then, you know, thank God I didn't. Um, and then it happened and it, it was tragic to see that because like you said, no one really knew what to do. And if you were in that housing market and you'd bought when it was, um, maxed out, I mean, so many of my friends lost their homes, lost, you know, all their, uh, their vehicles, all kinds of things. So yeah, I can see what, uh, what an interesting yet terrifying time that must have been. Yeah, there is. It was just that's one of the the, the random things I guess I, I get to, to carry around with me. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of Pete Carroll, so tell me about your journey into the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, my injury background was such that there was no way I was like a draftable player. Like I, I was like asterisk, 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 asterisk um, in terms of can he survive an NFL, NFL season? You know, how durable is he, et cetera? Like, like teams just don't, uh, you know, people with a long uh, history of injury, um, they don't they don't draft them. Um, and so I remember going to the NFL combine and and uh, going through physicals and like, you know, just a, like incredible grueling process of like, getting grilled on my injuries, every doctor touching me, you know, like, all right, we need an MRI. And I think, uh, I think I had eight MRIs at the, uh, at the combine and, you know, 18 x-rays or some crazy number, you know, and I spent an entire day getting MRIs and x-rays on my body to basically check out my injuries to see where I was sitting. So, my journey in the NFL was quite unique. Um, from that standpoint, I was I was undrafted, uh, but a very high, highly sought after undrafted free agent. Um, and kind of in, in my perspective, um, I was fortunate on that uh, because when you're an undrafted free agent, you can kind of pick where you want if people want you. And and a lot of people wanted me um, because I did have some great experience. I just you know the question like nobody wanted to invest money into somebody who was broken, but you know, like, Hey, you want to come join our team and see if you can, 
you can you can make it through a season great but we're not going to pay you a bunch of money or give you a you know upfront payment to do so um so i started uh i went and and followed pete carroll seattle um you know pete pete took a bunch of my coaches from college and and you know pete to me is an incredible role model leader human being um and somebody still to this day i i very much respect and and I try to I try to be a leader he is and take a lot of his his things um, to my, my company and and other parts of my life. So follow Pete up there. Um, and it, it was much more based upon a personal relationship and uh, and such. And and I ended up uh, going through training camp. Um, I got cut on last cuts, but I was fortunate enough to to get picked up by the Denver Broncos right after played my rookie year for the Broncos, mostly as a practice squad member. Um, and you know, that, that is always unique. Um, from that, from that standpoint, you're like the next guy up. Um, and, and yeah, um, uh, my year at the Broncos was, you know, my worst, uh, my worst year as a, as an athlete in my entire life, we were just awful. Um, it was, it, uh, you know, head coach got fired, you know, three quarters away, not even three quarters away into the season. You know, we were just a, a really bad football team in terms of win losses, et cetera. Um, and pretty dysfunctional when you lose a head coach, et cetera. And it taught me so many lessons about, right. Uh, interpersonal dynamics, leadership, teamwork, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I saw, I saw, uh, you know, a coaching staff lose the team, um, et cetera, like lose the players and, and how that happened and watch it kind of spiral. Um, and it taught me a lot of lessons on things not to do, um, as a leader and, and, and going forward. So that was really eye opening to me in Denver, my rookie year to see such a cluster, um, happen and, and dysfunctional, um, Obviously, coaching staff changeover next year. I was uh, in Carolina and played three years in Carolina. Ended up starting a, a handful of games for the Panthers um, throughout my career. Played played in a bunch more. Um, but after my fourth year, I decided to walk away. I had a, a pretty bad injury midway through the year. Um, and when I was getting carted off the field, like, you know, regardless of what, you know, the doc said in the locker room, like, I just knew I was done. Um, I always, after, after my big injuries and going to grad school, I, I kind of made a, a deal with myself and with other people um, kind of around me from a mentor basis. And it was, I'm never going to let the game of football take more from me than I could take from it. Um, and, you know, everybody has a different threshold on it. Um, and my threshold you know, was there's definitely a quality of life associated with life after football. I also am very passionate about other things other than football and, and, and wanted to, wanted to do something else. And for me, like <clears throat> I was never going to have a 15 year career. Like I was just broken. Um, and to squeak out two more years or three more years was going to cost me a lot on the back end. Um, and just was something I was not, uh, I was not going to do. Um, and so anyways, I re I retired after my fourth year, much to the surprise of a lot of people, um, within the organization. Uh, but it was the right thing for me and my family. Uh, but, but playing in the NFL, 
I always say like was was a true like like a lifelong dream. Like I, I I like many other kids, boys, girls, like dreamed of being a pro, pro athlete. Um, right? I dreamed of being a pro basketball player. Honestly, like I loved basketball, and like Michael Jordan was my hero growing up. Um, especially in you know in the in the nineties when he was you know he's the greatest of all time. Um, but I dreamed of being a pro athlete, and I got to live that dream, and will be forever. Um, fortunate to be able to be a, be be that that and and have given that opportunity um, to do it, and you know the NFL also taught me so much about um, you know you just in sport you get exposed to people from so many different socioeconomic backgrounds, races, etc., um, and the interpersonal dynamics. It taught me so much about you know where where the rest of the world lives and and so many people that I, I think I was isolated to and and just you know how I grew up etc in a you know in a small town in in Colorado that when you get experience you know to other people it's it's really quite fascinating um the things you learn and and was really a part of a pretty you know, obviously the football NFL locker room is a crazy, crazy place um, with crazy personalities and and no different than 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 probably the fire department teams. Like you get people from all walks of life that have so many different backgrounds that you just get this incredible melting pot and you get so like your eyes get open to so many different ways of, you know, how you were brought up, et cetera. Um, and it's just really fascinating. It's, I mean, it, I just look at, look at it and say, how does it shape me as a person and open my eyes up to, you know, some of the struggles of life and, and how much opportunity I, I was truly given here. Yeah, well, I love the way you framed your decision to step down as well, because that's sadly something I think that's uh, an issue in our profession. Uh, right now, many of the, the departments around the country around the world even, you know, work a work week that, um, you know, is, is, uh, detrimental to their health. They, they, they love the job. They signed up to do this job that this is what they want to do their whole, you know, career. But there is a point of, of diminishing returns, you know, where, as you were saying, to, to stay one year, two years, five years more is actually going to be a lot more costly at the end. And we have a profession where on average we die about five years after retirement, which is horrendous. So understanding that, yes, you might not have as much pension or, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're waiting for, quote unquote, but there's so much more value in taking those years and being present with your wife, your kids, you know, starting a new entrepreneurial ship, um, you know, uh, adventure. I think that's another thing that people really need to understand just because the pension says you have to wait 25 or 30 years or reach this age doesn't mean that's the right uh, choice for your particular story. Yeah. I mean, you know, this, and we all do like inherently change is really hard and we always gravitate to the things that we know we're good at and that we can do. And right, it, it's the same way. Like, you know, um, I've you know, gotten to know a lot of special forces operators and, you know, or just people in the military in general, or, you know, this tactical athlete <laughs> and the world outside of, that space is so different and it's right. We want to be comfortable in what we do, but ultimately right, taking that step is so important um, for our lives. Like I, I, I've watched people that, you know, are making eight to $10 million a year. They don't need any more money at all. 
right? Be so scared to walk away from the game and knowing like they know, like if I continue to play, I'm going to pay the price. Like I'm going to have so many issues, but what's next is so it, it is scary. It's hard and it's really hard. And you know, it's like, you know, when you think back, it's like when you were first in, you know, the fire academy or when you were first in college, like how hard it was to make it right. And you have to like, you have to define yourself. And, and the, the big thing for, for me is, you know, football never defined me um, from it. Like I defined me and football was a part of it. Right. And I think it's that same way, like, you know, you know, being a firefighter, doesn't define you it's a part of you but you define you and you get to choose what it is and 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 allow allow it and i think that's a really important mindset that that i i had to make early on with my injury of like football doesn't define me i define me and with or without football i'm a better person because of my past because i was a football player um but it's hard it's hard as hell for pro athletes you know military personnel, you know, you, you know, the, you know, the blue and the red, um, you know, the fire and, and police, like it's hard to walk away. It's a, it's such a family. It's, it's, and it's something that, you know, the more you do, the better you get, the more ingrained you are. Um, and I mean, I, I mean, I miss the hell out of, out of the locker room and, and the team and, and I, I, like honestly, like it's like it's something I continue to chase. How do I rebuild that? How do I build a team in my company that winning and we're all aligned to the same goal and having a goal that's so clear and knowing what winning and losing is and having a purpose. Um, and it, it's you know it, it's one of those things that is uh, yeah it's it's really hard to walk away from these types of environments. Yeah, well, it's such an interesting parallel too. So there you are from the professional athletics side and you've just explained exactly what I see so many um, first responders and military go through, which is if you invest and become the profession that you're in as your identity, then when you transition out, whether it's injury, whether it's getting fired, whether it's retirement, if you don't have something else, if you don't have that self, um, then people really struggle. And I think that's exactly what you just said is finding that next tribe, that next group that you feel a sense of belonging on. You feel like you're doing something good in the world. That is what I see as the very healing element that helps that transition be a lot um, more seamless. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, anyways, so um, it's just a hard, hard process and it always will be like, nothing we can do to change I don't think there's anything you can do to change this other than surround yourself with good mentors and right. The process starts not a year away from retirement it starts 10 years away from retirement. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to touch on one more thing and then transition to um, amp human, but you mentioned Pete Carroll, obviously based on your success, based on the way you've spoken about him and speaking of him, actually, I'm hoping to get him on. He's, he's a part of a group called um, compete to create with two of the guests I've already had on. Michael Gervais and uh, Janelle McCauley. But yeah. what I, what I've witnessed is, you know, you, there you are in this, what seems like a very cohesive team, well led. And then you also got to witness that particular year at the Broncos, which was the, 
parallel opposite. And I had the exact same experience in the fire service. I've worked for one department where I've seen the most camaraderie, brotherhood and sisterhood. And then I'm, the most recent one I worked was the polar opposite and it was horrendous and leadership was the key. So my observation is the same at the moment. And I'm not trying to load this question, but to me, I see a lot of lost people during this pandemic at the moment, looking for leadership, looking to be led when it comes to all the elements that are in their control, their, their nutrition, their exercise, their, you know, time in nature, their mental practices. But I'm seeing instead, you know, just fear being pumped out there. And I see that personally as a lack of leadership at the moment, not picking on any political party, just a lack of general leadership. So what, what is your, um, kind of perception of what's going on at the moment, having seen great and bad leadership yourself? Yeah, yeah, and like this is obviously a, a, a tough one here, James, and and there's no need to get political because I think it it spans all parties, etc., um, and all, you know all walks of government from you know at the community level up to the federal level. Um, I mean, leadership helps, like right, leadership helps, you know, provide a guiding light. Um, to say this is where we're going, this is how we're going, but also to to make people realize, you know, things are going to be hard and not everything's always rosy, but here's the process we're going through, but here is the process. And this is a process and here are the time points that we're going to change and potentially change, et cetera, to know where we get to. And I do think ultimately during the hardest times, leadership um, is is the most important and in the in the in the lack of leadership um and even with leadership people always have to focus on the things that they can control right like you know none of us can control the pandemic that's happening like we individually you know you know most we can't figure out a vaccine like we aren't going to be able to dictate policy um, but we can con- control what we can control, right? And and part of that is our attitude, our response to this, et cetera. And and I think what what uh, what great leaders do is magnify the things that people can, can can control to put them in control of things. And so you know, for me, it's like, yeah, the pandemic really sucks. It does, like. But guess what? I can't change it. And neither can you, James, and neither can most anybody. But what what we can do is, you know, we can say, what are, you know, where are the glass half full moments in the pandemic? You know, what what is really incredible here? You know, how can I protect myself? And how can I make sure that I'm also apparent and aware of other people have different beliefs and situations on this? And you have to be like you have to be respectful of, of that. And that's super important, but also it kind of comes back to this of like, you know, we are all human and, and we got to protect each other. And like, you know, um, at the end of the day, like, you know, it's not about us. It's how do we protect our, you know, our family and our humanity in all of this. Um, so anyways, it's, uh, we're obviously in the most unique times that we'll probably all face as as adults, hopefully, James, and, uh, you know, like, you know, COVID-19 pandemic is going to 
It is reshaping the world as we know it and reshaping the power structures within the globe, within the global economy. And, and, uh, you know, and it's changing people's perspective of, of life and, and what's really important to them and what's not. And I think it's, you know, you know, from my perspective, it is a horrendous thing that's happening. And, and, you know, the amount of life loss is tragic and jobs and, but, you know, also, I think there's a lot of people that have said, you know, what's really important to me in this? It's made them take a step back. And I personally have like, what's truly important to me in, in life? And why do I do the things that I do? And and what, where is my role uh, in all of this rather than just getting stuck in the in the usual rat race of of how do we go faster and faster and faster? Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that's it. Understanding that what we can control rather than being frozen by what we can't. Yeah. Right. Well, then just kind of the journey into Amp Human. So many of the professional athletes, especially in, in football and um, powerlifting and some of these ones where sometimes health is actually sacrificed for performance. You were 300 plus pounds. What was your journey to where you wanted to be in your ideal health post football? <laughs> Oh man, um, I uh, being big was really hard on me. Like you know, three ten, three hundred pounds, like which was like three hundred to three ten was my playing weight in the NFL. Like it was a full time job to just eat to keep my weight on. I my body did not like to be that big um, by any means, and when I, I like the things I love to do is I love to be outdoors. I love to hike. I love to bike. I love to adventure. I love to ski. Um, and being 300 or 310 pounds is not conducive to any of that. Um, but also it was a lot of work and I felt really unhealthy. Um, a lot of it, I mean, just, you know, at 310, you don't sleep really well, um, all the time, right? Like that's a lot of weight to be carrying on, you know, on, on your frame and such. So my journey to lose weight was really, once I knew I was going to be done retiring, I essentially just, you know, um, stopped eating so much. And, you know, I would say two months after retiring, I was, you know, 235, which is where I'm at now. Like I just shed, I shed weight so, so fast. Um, you know, I, you know, and I did it almost exclusively swimming. Um, and it was because I had a really bad foot injury and I couldn't, I was non weight bearing. So I just got in the pool and, you know, like I remember, you know, the first time I got in the pool, I just, I was like, I'm going to swim for 30 minutes and try not to drown. And I swam for 30 minutes and almost drowned. Um, and, and, and then, you know, over the course of, you know, two months, you know, and swimming almost every day, I became a really proficient swimmer and, you know, was no longer drowning, but was rather trying not to puke and, uh, and all those things. So my journey was honestly relatively quick to get down to what I'll call my, my current fighting weight, um, right now. And, you know, for me, like I'm an, like I'm an avid, you know, aspirational athlete like you know i don't run very much because it's really hard on my body but i love to do big big hikes and you know like i'll call them like hikes slash trail runs um which you know kind of a combo i love to ride my bike um i really like to swim um still and then i do a bunch of crazy you know high intensity workouts i have an incredible 
group here in Park City that uh, you know it's it's kind of this this massive suffer fest of of ex athletes ex you know military um, ex you know uh, current pro athletes I would say in, in kind of the um, adventure sports space that you know every couple uh, you know pre-pandemic you know four days a week we'd all go in and suffer like you know some mornings we'd go skin up the ski resort um and ski down and you know in the summer we we go run the ski jump stairs which is you know i don't know 400 vertical feet you know of stairs essentially uh, alongside the big olympic ski jump which is just an absolute you know kick in the stomach you know make you vomit every single time and you know do a couple rounds of that so i i don't know i think you know my journey is i've taken you know a look and say how do i suffer um the most in sport while not hurting my body um suffering to me in in my athletic endeavors is a way for me to clear my mind and and really find you know some some space um, to have uh, what I call free thought. You know, like I've my mind and how my days are structured. There is very little time where I just get to think randomly and just go from one thing to another. And you know, when my heart rate you know is above one fifty and holding for a long time is really the only time that I really feel that I get good free thought and my mind just wanders and goes to so many different places, which um, I think is really healthy. And it's that suffering that allows me to do that. Brilliant. No, I love that. And it's, it's interesting. So like I said, so many people have gone from performance to health now. And you, you mentioned about how hard it was to eat to maintain that weight. I had Ethan Suplee on the show who was on... Um, American History X and a whole bunch of other you know, films and televisions. Well, my name is Earl. He was he was the the very heavy character in that. But he he made a very interesting point. He said it's hard being obese, and what he meant was again the amount that you're consuming, and then everything you do is harder because you're so big. So his whole philosophy was you take that same effort that you're already doing as an overweight person and you apply it in the healthy modalities, the exercise and, and that kind of thing. So you're not really doing any more as far as motivation. You're just applying that effort in a different way that's going to make you healthy. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. All right. Well, then let's talk about Amp Human, the genesis and uh, you know how it involves the tactical space. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess kind of the journey to get to Amp Human is is important. So myself and my co-founder Erica Good, uh, we met. Oh man, over five years ago now in in Los Angeles at an early stage biotech, um, we were employees two and five. You know, really part of like the first the first wave of hires, the founding team um, at this at this biotech company. Uh, she was number two, I was number five, um, respectively, and not separated by very much, but we are definitely part of the business team, um, not a part of, uh, of right, the, the chemistry side, et cetera. Um, and that biotech really was inspiration for Amp Human and, and founding Amp Human um, a little over two years ago uh, is when we created Amp Human in June of 2018. Um, and we did so on this idea that um, that 
the human performance space is has a ton of opportunity and there's so much misinformation lack of lack of information out there about about human performance and how do we maximize our body but also there's so many incredible technologies and products that just never make it to the consumer um and that was kind of our thesis here and being at the biotech we had this passion project which was how do we leverage the technology that was developed at the biotech for use outside of pharma and medicine and apply it to human performance and this passion project at the biotech we made a you know skunk works product um, that is now our flagship product pr lotion at amp human and it was is there a way to give the body more of a basic uh, electrolyte um, that maximizes muscle efficiency, um, but you can't take it orally? So the biotech is focused on delivering substances through the skin. Um, transdermal drug delivery is what they're focused on and, and have some pretty incredible things going on. But it was, what if we could deliver something through the skin um, in a very safe, effective way and make an incredible impact on on an athlete um, and muscle performance and and from that sense it's not just you know the athlete from the nfl athlete but from the weekend warrior to the tactical athlete to people who are training with a purpose and that are pushing their bodies to the limit um, so that was really the genesis of amp human um, which is you know like i said we're a human performance company and we're dedicated to you know pushing the limits of of the human body and really bringing innovative solutions um, to market around some of the biggest problems or gaps that there are within uh, within human performance. And the thing, couple of things that I'm most proud of about the company, we've put together a world-class scientific advisory board that has, you know, the head of human performance at Red Bull and the head of human performance at Nike and some of the top uh, clinical researchers in the world to help us identify some of the biggest problems and actually validate some of the solutions we're working on and continue to push the ball forward um, on on things. And so um, at, Amp, at Amp Human, yeah, we have one product on market right now. We're getting ready to launch another one um, end of this year and are continuing to build out what does our product portfolio look like and how do we best serve um, the athlete consumer um, as a whole. Um, so, yeah. Brilliant. Well, I mean, that's one of the, the, the kind of um, roads, I guess, on, on this project is understanding that we, the tactical population, as you said, are, are athletes and we should be seen the same way as the sporting athletes that many of us, you know, admire on television. So there's the one wellness and longevity road, but then there's also a peak performance road as well. And so I'm always intrigued when, when, whether it's the blood flow restriction or in you know, the PR lotion, anything that can take, especially if it might be a niche, you know, part of one of our professions, but create, you know, more recovery or, or a higher level of performance because Unlike football, you know, in, in, in these professions, lives are at stake. So this is, you know, the thing that might have made that 1% difference that enables a rescue, enables a life to be saved, then it's absolutely worth looking into. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, that's, you know, to me, there's so much opportunity to, to focus on things to make 
you know, the athlete be a better athlete. And we kind of define them in in three different areas. Uh, Like how do we define human performance? We call it, right, perform, um, adapt, evolve of like the three big pillars of human performance. And perform is this category of like, it's it's the moment of sweat, right? When you're training, when you're working out, when you're pushing your bodies to the, to the limit of like at that given time, what do you need to give yourself? And then we have this pillar of adapt. And this is really, what is your recovery in 24 hour routine? Like what does sleep look like? What does, you know, a recovery, a recovery drink look like? How is stretching involved soft tissue? And then there's this big evolve pillar, which is your athlete health and your long-term vision, right? And this is, you know, like, this is not, uh, you know, a di- uh, like, I'm going to do this today because I did X. This is, you know, over four months. Um, how do I, how am I looking at my body and taking the really long-term vision of health, health into account? I mean, things like this would be your gut, uh, your gut biome, your immunity, your immune health and, and things like that. So we really have three, three core pillars here of, of human performance, perform, adapt, evolve, how we see the like being critical to to the athlete and are building things in each one of those categories but like you mentioned pr lotion which is our first flagship product i mean it's at its simplest form it's it's really pretty pretty simple like um, we're giving the body more of a basic electrolyte which is sodium bicarbonate you can't take that electrolyte orally very effectively because it causes massive GI distress. Basically, it causes you to, you know, have nausea or crap your pants if you take it in doses that are impactful on performance. But bicarbonate's role in the blood is to help regulate acidity or pH. Um, and that is related to so many different things. And so when you think about uh, when you think about threshold type of uh, you know, environments, when you're at threshold or above threshold, your body's producing more acid than you can clear. And eventually that builds up, you fatigue and you can no longer go um, further. And it's because the acid has built up in your muscles. Um, and so what bicarb or PR lotion does is it allows you to push through that a little bit further because you're able to buffer more acid so you can go harder for longer. And what does that mean um, for a training perspective? It allows you to train harder and gain faster adaptations, um, which is really, really important. It also has an impact of it allows you to recover a little faster because there's so much damage that happens within the muscle that creates an acidic effect that if you can remove some of the acidity, you can recover a bit faster. Um, But from... But from a performance standpoint, so, right, you know, in your world, Jane, it seems like, you know, hey, you know, you got to you're you're going up and down stairs as fast as you can. Um, And in some of the clinical research that we've done, like we've been able to show like you're able to do more max effort intervals um, to failure until you failure than without it. And that's because you're able to buffer more acid during the process. So you can get four or five more rounds in than you would have without it just because you're giving your body more of what you need. It's no different than, right, you go into a workout and you're dehydrated as hell, you're going to have a terrible workout. You're going to perform like crap because your body doesn't function well without water. So we basically removed or removed or moved one of the ceilings that's limited performance 
just because the gut was the limiting factor um, in, in all of this. And it's super simple. You literally rub it on your, you know, your back, glutes, quads, hamstrings, calves before, you know, a lower body intense effort um, or training session. Um, and it allows you to push harder uh, for longer. All right. So a few questions. The first one um, with um, any athlete is going to be going into the water. So lifeguards, for example, if you're looking at the rescue space or, or a P, uh, coast guard rescue swimmer, um, how long is the product absorbed before they can go in the ocean? Will it, will it kind of wash off if they if they put it on and then start swimming or, you know, what's the kind of uh, absorption rate there? Yeah, great, great question. So we we work with a ton of the world's best triathletes and uh, absorption rate. We typically say put it on 30 minutes, let it be on for 30 minutes before you get in the water. Uh, and that's that's simply to let it absorb. And then whatever's left on the skin, the residue is is just uh, access residue and and like we don't we know we don't get everything in we don't penetrate there's other parts of the the lotion that don't penetrate as well um and so after 30 minutes you're clear to get in the water um and, and get wet so it's it's just kind of one of those things that um if you're going to do a water-based activity you just need to give yourself a little bit of a little bit of time uh before you get in but when you think about it like you know 30 minutes you know, if you're if you're getting the water, you you really you really know it. You, like you have time typically to do so. Brilliant. Well, so one of the 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 forks, as it were, in the fire service, I think that this is extremely pertinent for, for just based on the duration of their work, on the uh, you know, the climbing that's involved up and down mountains, is the the wildland fire service and the smoke jumpers and um, the the hot shots. So. Um, Tell me the kind of what you've been seeing as far as results on some of the endurance athletes that would probably mimic the wildland fire service more than the structural fire service. Yeah, from a from a wildland uh, firefighter perspective, it's very much about being able to maintain um, over multiple days on back to back days and being able to have that grueling effort. Um, uh, be sustained for longer. I mean, it's the biggest thing we hear from like our Ironman triathletes are like the next day I'm more prepared than I should be because I was able to recover faster um, on it because it's the uh, like the um, oh man blanket on my words here. It's the accumulation of work, right? Like the workload is such that you're actually uh minimizing the fatigue on day one so that on day two you're starting less in the hole than you than you would have been um etc and for for you know the ironman athletes they don't really notice it on like really constant um on on like the constant um tempo of the endurance of, of like an eight hour Ironman where they really notice it is, is right. Like when you have to like on the punchy type of environments, when you're, when you're hitting a hill, when you need to be explosive, like they just have a little more gas in their tanks to go above threshold when you need to, because you're not always below threshold. There's times when, right. You got to go, you know, at hour four, you got to go a little harder um, than, than like your, your tempo pace. Um, so it's it's really about how do I put more back to back days together and feel better on those back to back days. And number two is it's how do I 
right? How do I have more go in the middle of a, you know, eight hour, 10 hour race? Right. And then the other, yeah. I'm sorry, I was going to say the other area I think that's, that's pertinent to a lot of other, you know, environments, because that's definitely, you know, mimics the, the wildland fire service. They may be hiking for a while and then they may have to cut line, which is definitely, you know, punchy, as you say, you know, very strenuous activity. Um, but their recovery side too. So tell me about the, the effect on delayed onset muscle soreness after using the, the lotion. Yeah, in one of our clinical studies um, that was presented at uh, the American College of Sports Medicine, um, we saw a 53% reduction in delayed onset muscle soreness uh, post using uh, PR lotion. So putting on PR lotion before an intense exercise session, we saw a massive decrease in, in delayed onset muscle soreness, not only the day after, but two days after. Um, and that has to do with right the, the 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 damage of the work that's being done right you're not actually minimizing the the structural damage in terms of like the tearing of the muscles what you're minimizing is is a lot of the damage around um around the uh the inflammation response and the acidity that that comes with with that and and so that's that's really the biggest outcome that we see from from our professional teams, whether it's in the NFL or NHL, um, is is not so much on the on the one day performance outcome. It is how does this uh, how does this play out over multiple days, and how is it allowing me to stack more training gains throughout the process? Um, which is which is what is really fascinating in, in all of this. And and I mean, there's there. I mean, like I'll be the first to tell you, we need to do we need to continue to collect more research on on right muscle damage markers and and how that's affecting it. And we're really excited to be exploring that over the next you know two years um, on saying how is this actually impacting um, the 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 muscle damage markers within the body and how are we affecting those. Um, rather than the outcome of like people are people just feel and are a lot fresher um, when they use PR lotion versus not. So we were actually connected by uh, Miguel, who's um, you know a human performance and working with Marine Recon, um, and he was saying obviously that that those guys were were using it as well. So tell me what the results you've experienced from the military community. <laughs> Yeah, we've been really, really blessed to have a ton, a ton of success within the within the DoD, and and I'll say success um, is all, all is all relative um, in that we've we've had really good traction within uh, different uh, SOCOM units with with soft operators. We've been used um, downrange on some really incredible, grueling, you know, uh, hike in, hike out. Uh, um, type of things and then have just been used, you know, kind of in the standard training routine. And, and so the biggest thing is, you know, like all athletes, it's, it's like, can I go hard today? 
and can I go hard tomorrow and can I go hard the next day and how do I continue to make those gains when it matters or, or, or how do I continue to be at my peak for longer when it matters and then in a training session is how do I push my body and get more out of my body today so that I can get better tomorrow so that I can get better the next day um, and that's where we've seen a lot of traction within the different uh, special special forces units we work with and and um, yeah and, and, and with that obviously Miguel connected us and and he came through one of our our soft connections and has been an incredible asset and and has given us great feedback on the product etc we've also won uh, or been awarded i guess is a proper word uh 1.6 million dollars in innovation contracts within the within the dod specifically through um through the air force um we actually are like we, as of the 19th of August, we haven't officially announced it yet, um, but we were just awarded um, the biggest portion of that, which is a $1.5 million contract with uh, the first special operations wing. And it's further looking at PR lotion and how can we impact uh, the performance of, of the air crew, like both pilots and and the crew behind to impact performance while they're, you know, not only just training, but also as they're in in air, et cetera, you know, on missions or or in training in training profiles, as they have a pretty grueling, um, pretty grueling task of not only just you know sitting in the cockpit for you know eight eight hours at a time, but also you know in the back of in the back, the air crew has a tough job as well. Obviously, as as we all know, um, you know, doing some pretty incredible things. So. We're really excited about our traction within the DOD, but also how they're really supporting our continued knowledge of the product and getting behind us as an innovator um, and are continuing to find how do we continue to support this tactical athlete. And and James, as you know, that the tactical athlete is, is a lot of times an overlooked segment um, when, when we talk about athletes. But at, at the end of the day, like, you know, in our perspective, you know, we have four key consumer profiles and the tactical athlete is one of them. They make up a huge component of people who train with a purpose. <coughs> Excuse me. And right. Like whether you're, you know, uh, you know, a municipal firefighter or wild and firefighter, like you're training with a purpose because you understand that your physical performance is key to your success at, at your job. And whether you're an Ironman athlete or just a recreational athlete that's pushing and training with a purpose is very meaningful to invest in, in oneself. And, and so as we think about the DOD and the tactical athlete, it's how do we continue to right give this sub this subgroup of athletes products and innovation that help them be better because it's really easy to overlook this community. And, and honestly, from a, you know, a startup company, you know, we're early stage business, we're venture backed, um, you know, the government and tactical athlete space moves at a slower pace than the non tactical DOD athlete. And so we've really stayed true. Like this has been a two year process to get, you know, 1.6 million in funding and get traction within the DOD and get orders start flowing. Um, but it's been really important to us because we believe 
that this tactical athlete needs human performance just as much as, you know, the St. Louis Blues or the Los Angeles Rams that are our customers on the sports side or the Ironman athlete for that matter. Um, but also we believe the DOD can help us continue to push innovation forward and, and can allow us to find new solutions and honestly fund new solutions and do more clinical research that wouldn't necessarily happen if it wasn't for, for that funding. Um, and we're excited to do that. I mean, we've, you know, just recently, like we just, uh, James, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the platform GovX, um, which is, uh, uh, you know, a government webs not, not a government website, but a website for, you know, uh, first responders and military, uh, active military to get discounts on products. We, we launched on GovX or we partnered with them. Our products is now on GovX so that, you know, that group of people can get discounts and we can get further access and spread the love there, um, as well. So, I mean, we're, we're really focused on how do we support this space in the right way. Absolutely. No, I have heard of GovX. Funny enough, I'm trying to partner with them at the moment. I think that'd be a great partnership for this uh, podcast because when you go on there and you see all the things that our community can actually benefit from, it's not just sunglasses like it used to be. It's everything now, plane flights and, you know, you name it, concert tickets. I bought my my last uh, rock concert through there. So yeah, I mean, it's such a great place to, to put a product on because you know it's then going to reach the exact uh, community that we've been talking to today. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, then I want to transition to some closing questions uh, so that we can let you go. The very first one I always ask people, is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be something we've discussed today or something completely different. That's a really, really good question. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, I uh, the most of the books that I read are uh, are kind of for enjoyment and they're sci-fi related. I really love sci-fi, um, which is is really really strange. Um, I, I don't know. Um, it is it is what it is. A book that I would recommend. I don't think it's one book. Um, I I really love uh, the John Wooden books, kind of all about leadership, and I. It's I, I read most of them in college and, and just post college, but I'm um, I think there are incredible um, findings in, in in his books um, or the books that were written with him. Um, he was just a tremendous thinker. Um, how do you you know, like, how do you build a winning, winning culture over over the long term and, and implement process um, and accountability throughout that? So I would just say, you know. I read a ton of sci-fi or and listen to a ton of sci-fi uh, books on tape as well. Just it's kind of like my my escape. Um, but uh, John Wooden books, I think, in, in my mind, are some of the greatest books out there um, that I've really enjoyed reading. And coming from a, a USC guy talking about a UCLA guy, that says something to you. <laughs> that does. You don't have to apologize for reading sci-fi, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just I, I'm guessing people normally don't say that on your podcast. No, actually, I'd say one of the, one of the most because um, I'm going to ask you movies next, and one of the most you know uh, mentioned movies is Star Wars. So yeah, there's there's a huge amount of sci-fi fans out there. So what, so what about movies? What are some of your favorite? Oh man, some of my favorite movies. Uh, I love Sean Connery. Um, 
and I don't know, like as a kid, just was like, he was like my, one of my favorite guys out there. Um, so like I, I used to love, like I still do the, the rock, um, was, uh, like one of my, one of my favorite movies, um, growing up and I'll still say it's like on, on top five of my list. Um, I am very much a star Wars, star Trek fan as well. Um, I, I, I think I, I more gravitate towards Star Trek than Star Wars, um, but I, I love them. But I love both the series. Brilliant! You know, someone one of my—I uh, wouldn't say dream guests because there's no such thing as a dream guest. Everyone's you know equally important. But I think George Takai would actually be an interesting person to talk to. Yeah, it would be fascinating. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, what about a documentary? Any of those that you've seen that you think everyone should watch? Ooh, that's a really, really good one. Um, I, there are so many good ones out right now. I just haven't had the time to watch uh, to watch any any of them. Um, right there's the the Michael Jordan one, the Lance Armstrong one. Um, but I haven't watched any. None of them are like honestly. No documentary is really coming to to mind right now. I really want to watch a bunch. I just got to make some time for them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say pass. Okay, no problem. Um, well, speaking of guests, so you mentioned Lance Armstrong. That's someone I would love to get on. I don't think a man is defined by a, a you know, blip in his career, personally. And I know that he's he's actually an advocate of your product, too. Um, but is there anyone that you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and medical personnel of the world? I think Lance would be a tremendous guest. I, I honestly do. He obviously is really has a really successful podcast of his own and he's got an incredible journey and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do believe, you know, if you, if you wouldn't have said Lance ahead of that, Lance would have been, um, really, really top on, on my list. Um, I think Miguel, um, who introduced us would have been, would be a tremendous guest guest as well. Um, just given his, incredible commitment to our to our country and how long he served but also his outlook on human performance and you know like he sits in a really unique position um uh in in that so i i think those two just knowing what i know about you james and your podcast i think they would be really both fascinating um people to have on Brilliant. No, I agree. And Miguel, actually, I've asked him already and we had a conversation. I'm like, wow, this guy, yeah, totally gets it. <laughs> um, and he's walked the walk as well, like you said. So I don't know if he's in a position to be able to yet, but the moment he is, um, he is the top of my list. Um, brilliant. All right. Then the last question before we make sure we can find you and the product. What do you do to decompress? Yeah, uh, I listen to sci-fi books on uh, on Audible, um, and I I exercise and I spend time with my family. Um, I, I I used to um, I used to garden a lot. Uh, gardening was one of the things I did a lot in the NFL. Like I had a massive garden, and and every day when I got home from from practice or training, I'd go spend 45 minutes to an hour in my vegetable garden um, in Carolina. Um, and even had one in Colorado for that matter when I played for the Broncos. And for me, it was, right, I needed to, I, I just like it, it, as first responders, like it is like the environment when you go home is so different. And I needed to find some space before like 
I got into conversations with my wife or started, you know, other things I needed to just like completely downshift. And I fell in love with, uh, with gardening, which is, I mean, it, it is what it is. And I, and I still love it. I don't do it anymore. We don't live in quite the great gardening place. And I also, um, I also work too long of our hours to do so um, now, but uh, it really is like family time where I, I have three young boys and, you know, we go ride bikes around the block and go on hikes and, and, and things like that. And the outdoors is just how I, I really decompress as well as, you know, just, I love listening to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I ever listened to more than 30 minutes of a book on tape a night, but I, you know, cause I, typically fall asleep but it's for me it's a very good decompressing thing brilliant well it's funny that you mentioned decompressing after training before you interact with your family because that's another thing that's kind of very important for us is so often we you know we jump in our cruiser or or you know our civilian cars after we leave the fire station and then we go straight home and i think that punctuating your responder role or athlete role and then your family role is very very important it's something that we don't really think about so that that's uh that's so good to hear that you actually deliberately took that time to kind of transition from athlete to family man yeah i mean yeah i mean like you're just in a completely different mindset you're right you're on edge you're uber aggressive you're trained to be aggressive and like right respond to things right very very quickly use your instincts um Right. And use your, I, and, and use your, your past where at, at home, like you need to be thoughtful and like, you just can't act. You have to think and you have to be patient. Um, and like patience, um, in our lines of former work, patience gets right. Like in your line of work has like, if you don't react bad consequences, like there are terrible consequences. If you don't move in my line of work, like, if you don't make a decision, bad things happen, which like, like bad things with air quotes, like, right. You get beat, you don't perform well, et cetera. Like, um, and, and I, I still find the stick to do this day, even from work, you know, the, the lack of decompression, because like the position I'm in at, at running a company, like you make decisions, you move really fast. You don't have a ton of patience, but you need, those are really important skills to have at home. And it's really hard to turn that switch on and off. Um, but we all owe it to be, you know, great mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and be really effective coworkers and leaders. And so it like everybody needs to find out how do I upregulate to get to work? How do I downregulate to get home? Because it's not the same. And especially in all like our lines of work where where it's so different so i do i do think that's a big a big challenge and and it takes a very conscious effort to do so yeah i agree 100 percent. all right well then for people listening that want to either learn more about amp human as a company or obviously purchase the pr lotion where are the best places for them to go yeah go to our website amp amp human.com um, you can learn kind of about our company history, et cetera. Um, there you can read our data, et cetera. We're also available on, on GovX now, um, you know, you know, as of early this month, which is super exciting for us. Um, haven't done anything there. Um, but yeah, I would, I would encourage you to go to our website, sign up for a newsletter. We have, you know, incredible, 
um, incredible newsletter in terms of like our scientific advisory board, you know, uh, one of the members did the breaking two project, which is breaking the two hour marathon. And like, we have great insights from him about how do you train as an endurance athlete, et cetera. Like it's just some great content that I think, you know, athletes of all time, all types would, would be really fascinated. With. So anyways, that's, that's how you find us. And then what if they're about, they want to find you, do you have any social media presence? Um, I would say the best, <laughs> I have social media. Uh, I don't know if I remember my, my, uh, my password to the standard social medias, but go to LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is my, is my best social media and, you know, you know, come, come, come follow me, message me there. Super open. Um, but yeah, like, uh, Instagram and, and such, like I, uh, I just, I, I never, I never had got into it and, and I have an account. I just, have no idea. I like, I honestly don't think I know my password. So, um, um, you, you can message me there and follow me, but that, uh, I will never know. Um, it is a black hole. Brilliant. So LinkedIn, LinkedIn is the best way. And it's just, uh, Jeff Byers. You'll, you'll find me. Beautiful. Well, Jeff, I want to say thank you so much again. I mean, when people come on and they've got a product, you know, a, you know, whatever it is, the focus of their, their work, then obviously that's very important. But to me, the, the story behind the person, you know, is so, so powerful. And, um, you brought so much to this conversation, whether it's leadership, whether it's overcoming injury, whether you just at the end, you know, uh, punctuating between work and coming home. Um, you know, it, there's so much value in this. So thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to tell your story. Oh, you're very welcome, James. It's an honor to come on and and uh, looking forward to continue to to serve your community. And and uh, I mean, I just my my lasting words is like we're always open for feedback. Tell us anything, um, et cetera. And and we are always looking to innovate. And if you have great ideas, like we're all ears. <laughs>